This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, November 16th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, public health prepares for winter. Telluride passes 2023 budget. County to renew its hazard plan. And a mountain weather forecast. Public health is preparing for a potential tridemic. What we're really seeing is influenza and RSV, so flu and RSV cases have really started sooner um, and started at a higher case rate than um, previous years. That San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking before the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners this week. When it comes to RSV, Franklin says on the statewide level, there has been a major influx in cases and hospitalizations, especially for those under two years old. For flu, case numbers are hearkening back to several years ago. These rates are really similar to 2017-2018 flu rates, which was the highest um, flu hospitalization year um, in most recent years. And so There's a lot to be concerned about um, and aware of. Flu and RSV plus COVID equals potential tridemic. With multiple respiratory illnesses occurring um, and hospitalizations occurring all at the same time, um, there's significant impact on hospital systems. Um, And so it's just uh, started a lot earlier um, than anticipated. And with three different viruses that have really caused a huge impact, impact. Um, there, there's concerns about strains on the hospital systems, in particular right now the pediatric hospitals. Franklin notes the increase in illness comes as people become more wary of protection measures to stay healthy. Overall, fatigue is high, uh, interest is low. We're all aware of what works, but it, I think that um, folks are, are tired as a whole. And so that's really made it challenging, too, when, we're, when behavior is similar to pre-2020. Um, but COVID is still really significant, as well as these other seasonal uh, illnesses. She adds there's also a new variant adding to the mix when it comes to an increase in case rates. The reason why we're seeing increasing cases, um, along with just um, waning immunity as a whole, uh, BQ11 is a subvariant of Omicron. Um, it's currently making up about 24, 25 percent in our region. Um and um, overcoming the BA5, which is the um, strain of the virus that has been around since early summer. Um, so it just, there's more immune escape. It's a different uh, mutation, but uh, the updated Omicron boosters do provide a level of protection against this one because it is a strain of the Omicron variant, um, just not quite as strong as the original um, Uh, vaccine was marketed for because it was developed for BA4, BA5. While public health is preparing for a winter of increased disease, it's also pulling back on its updates to the BOCC. At the height of COVID, public health provided daily updates. Franklin will now provide monthly public health updates at the beginning of each month. Telluride Town Council passed its 2023 budget on Tuesday to the tune of $9.3 million. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson sat down with KOTO News to talk through some of the highlights. The conversation starts with projects in the works for 2023. The Town Council has a set of goals and objectives that we work on, um, we debate, we get public input, and then they adopt those each year. So we really build the budget around that 
um, set of goals and objectives um, that they also adopted yesterday. Um, and that gives us kind of a roadmap so that we're not just all over the place um, funding um, initiatives that don't you know, fit the goals and objectives of council. I think there's a real focus this year on uh, our infrastructure in particular, streets, sidewalks, accessibility, uh, accessibility along the river path as well, continuing to improve those aspects for not just locals in our, our own community, but of course for visitors as well. And um, that's, uh, that's going to be a really great area of uh, investment this year. Uh, if you look specifically at Pacific Avenue, that's a, for me, a really exciting project that has risen to the top and has been out there for a while as part of the Southwest Area Plan. And so we'll look to re rebuild Pacific really all the way from Mahoney on the West End um, to Davis and then make improvements along Pacific really all the way to the park um, just from a surface standpoint. But um, yeah, along Pacific on that West End, it's going to be great to have bikes with their own uh, paved uh, path. Uh, the river trail will remain a great soft surface, beautiful trail, and then um, remain a one-way um, going eastbound on Pacific. So that's that's one specific kind of infrastructure accessibility-related project. Um, and I can highlight a, a few more that are, that are going to be exciting this year. Um, I would say, um, you know, when we talk infrastructure, although not exciting, there's a lot of work on our old water lines and water treatment, of course. We continue to put money away for the, um, major, major upgrades to the wastewater treatment plant that we um, share some percentage of owner ownership with, with the town of Mountain Village, of course. Um, there are some really, I think, fun and important community projects like the Youth Hangout um, and Warming Hut in Town Park. And uh, the warming hut is in, you know, long need of replacement for Nordic skiing and everything else that happens there. But uh, the community has been talking a long time around the need for uh, more and more interesting places for um, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, all of our kids to hang out at. And so we're excited to put that uh major project uh, into 2023. It's It's gotten delayed a year just based on construction timelines and trying to get the skate park done and our showers and all the other great things in Town Park. But that youth um, hangout should, should kick off next year. Uh, at the same time, I would say council was very clear that they really want us as staff and our nonprofit partners to, to get out there and funds necessary for what will be almost a $2.75 million project. So um, we're looking to raise in the in the ballpark of a million dollars from grants from our nonprofit partners, our other governmental partners, uh, since this will be a regional uh, asset for sure. Folks always, of course, are interested in, okay, well, what does the budget mean for me? How am I going to be impacted by that? So in terms of water fees or different mm -hmm. um, parking fees, whatever it might be, things right. that are going to cost residents yeah. money that they'll notice on a day-to-day -day basis. Is there anything in that realm? Well, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that is a part of most budgets is is some modest increases from a fee standpoint. Uh, we talked a lot uh, over the last couple months of this budget process around um, the rental uh, pricing for all of our affordable housing projects from Shandoka to Sunnyside uh, and, and beyond. Um, and you know, council, of course, I think did the right thing over the last few years, which was um, to basically inc increase 
rents by only maybe 1%, 1.5%, or during the height of COVID, um, gave rent relief altogether. So, you know, those are those are funds uh, in our housing fund that really have to cover themselves over time. We can't subsidize forever. And so we are going to see uh, some rental increases between 5% and 7% at um, many of the town-owned uh, properties. But uh, I, I would say we're we're really pleased that the the rates will remain, you know, really at or below market average for even affordable housing. Um, there'll be some, uh, I think, 7% increase around water, um, higher increases around wastewater as that uh, is looking like, you know, upwards of a $60 million project um, down the road that we need to continue to to fund the front end of. So um, other than that, you know, really very modest increases. I I'm of the philosophy that we make small, um, modest increases on a regular basis rather than going for years without touching fees or rents. And then all of a sudden, our community has to see these big spikes. That's what we want to avoid. So I think we're doing a good job of that in this this particular budget. Is there anything in the budget for next year that maybe isn't one of those big capital projects that you were talking about or isn't um, an increase in fees that we were just talking about that individuals might notice, but you think is like, this is a really important or um, cool thing that is in the budget that maybe folks wouldn't know about. Yeah. You know, uh, council, uh, through a lot of public process, adopted a climate action plan um, this last year. And so that's a big focus of certainly the town manager's office and, and really all of our departments moving forward is implementation of elements of that climate action plan. Um, we, in this budget, have uh, monies to uh, move forward on a, uh, it's called an EV readiness plan, um, so that we can really lay out uh, uh, the framework for where additional um, chargers, um, car chargers will be across town, um, where and how we can convert much of the town uh, vehicle fleet over time to uh, electric or EV-based vehicles, and um, and a game plan to transition the Galloping Goose over to an all-electric system over the next few years. And so that plan, um, while just a plan this year, we will begin to see some implementation of, again, more charging stations, probably upsizing charging stations within the Silverjack parking garage, for example. So that that would be, an, you know, for me, an exciting major next step in our um, efforts around climate action um, that won't be that visible, but um, it's going to be important to the community for sure moving forward. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming in and chatting. And yeah, congratulations on passing the 2023 budget. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a few months in the works, but uh, just appreciate all the public input along the way. Um, Council had some really great dialogues and uh, as always, appreciate Kodo covering what we're doing out there in town government. Always. This week, town council heard from Telluride Manager of Environment and Engineering, Karen Guglamone, of Hazards Up Ahead. Council, you see, will have to approve San Miguel County's all-hazard mitigation plan in early December. The plan is currently being updated by stakeholders in the region. Guglamone says this is the plan's third version. The first all-hazard mitigation plan was developed in 2011. There was an update in 2018. And this is the next five-year update. These updates are required by FEMA and the state. 
the sheriff's office, various fire districts, the towns of Ophir, Norwood, Telluride, Mountain Village, and others are all collaborating on the plan update. Early next year, all the groups involved in drawing up the plan will be asked to approve it, Guglamone says. In the first quarter of 2023, council will be asked to um, adopt this plan. Each of the entities will ask, be asked to formally adopt this plan. Um, and then uh, we'll move into implementation of the plan um, through the next five-year period. Guglamone asks that town council be ready to review the plan quickly because the county only has a week after completing the plan to hear feedback and revise their work before it goes to the state. December 6th is when I will receive the draft and we have a week to get the comments back and integrated and then the county will get them integrated and off to the state by the 13th. So it's, it's pretty intense. Guglamone says that the upcoming plan will closely match prior versions. The latest 2018 plan is a 250-page document which details the risks, most of them climate and weather-related, that threaten communities in San Miguel County. Past hazard events, ranging from avalanches to rockfalls, are discussed in depth and make clear the challenges of living in an extreme and diverse landscape. Guglamone explains the sort of information which the plan contains. It is an identification of natural hazards and also man-made hazards such as terrorism um, that the region identifies. Um, so the county itself identifies um, hazards such as wildfire, avalanche, rock slide, landslide, flooding, um, severe weather. Um, you name it, it's on there. And our latest uh, line to add is pandemic. In addition to laying out steps, both big and small, which municipalities will take to manage hazards, the plan will also help the county secure FEMA and other federal disaster funding should an event occur. A very special event is coming to Telluride this week as Anashabe and Ukrainian writer Patty Kerwak is giving an author talk through the Wilkinson Public Library on her latest book, Becoming Kin. Kerwak will share her reflections on spirituality, the importance of telling Indigenous history, and the relations between humans and the natural world. Hailing from Ontario, Kerwak is also the host of the podcast Medicine for the Resistance. Her book is available through the library or between the covers bookstore. The event, which is also co-sponsored by the Telluride Foundation and Sheep Mountain Alliance, will take place on Zoom on Thursday, the 17th at 6 p.m. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. It's time to get your gobble on. This weekend, the infamous Telluride Thanksgiving tradition returns with turkey bingo. Hosted by the Elks, the night of paint dots yelling, beverages, and lots of turkey and ham is the perfect opportunity to get some of your Thanksgiving grocery shopping out of the way. Turkey Bingo will kick off with Kids Bingo on Saturday, November 19th from 3 to 5 p.m. Adult Turkey Bingo follows with games at 6.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. On Sunday, November 20th, families are welcome back for Sunday Brunch Bingo. Brunch starts at 11 a.m., Bingo starts at noon. All games take place at the Elks Lodge on Pacific Street.
Colorado Parks and Wildlife says that in 2022, there's something in the water, something big. This year, the state record for the largest brook trout has been broken not once, but three times. At the beginning of the season in May, Tim Daniel caught a 7.8-pound trout in Monarch Lake, breaking a record which had stood for 75 years. Then this fall, fisherman Larry Vickers caught an 8.2-pound trout in Waterdog Lake, but decided to keep the fish so as not to waste the meat. So it was never sent to Parks and Wildlife to be officially recorded. A week later, on October 8th, the drama continued at Waterdog Lake when Matt Smiley reeled in a trout measuring over two feet in length and weighing eight pounds and nine ounces. Smiley lugged the fish down the four-mile trail and had it weighed in at the Lake City Post Office. Smiley, a fish tackle salesman, reports that he was about to pack up for the day and return home to catch a football game when he spotted the record-breaking trout. Immediately, he knew he had bigger fish to fry. The nonprofit farm collaborative near Snowmass Village is giving out about 3,600 pounds of food for its annual Farm to Fridge community meal share on Wednesday. That's enough to make dinner for 450 families or almost 2,000 people. And as Aspen Public Radio's Kaya Williams reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, the ingredients are coming from sources close to home. This year, just about all of the ingredients grew in the Roaring Fork and North Fork Valley region. Farm Collaborative Executive Director Ed Vardy says the amount of locally sourced food for the meal share has increased steadily and significantly since the tradition began 15 years ago as a farm-to-table dinner. I think it's just a testament to our community's will of standing behind our local and regional farmers. And of course, more than anything, of the farmers themselves doing the hard work that it takes to grow food at our high altitude cold climates uh, for the community. The love goes both ways. Local farmers nearing the very end of their harvest season get to share their remaining bounty and the farm collaborative will pay them for doing it. And community members, no matter their income, can share in the joy and sustenance of a free locally grown meal just in time for Thanksgiving. From the Edless Neeson Arts and Culture Desk, I'm Kaya Williams. There's nothing quite as refreshing as a cold glass of water straight from the tap, but it takes a lot of work to make your water clean and tasty. City water providers from all over the Mountain West put their supplies to the test at a recent event in Colorado. KUNC's Alex Hager was invited to judge the taste test and filed this report. I'll be honest, I don't know a lick about judging water. I'm at best an amateur water enjoyer, but here in the middle of a bustling conference hall at a big hotel in the ski resort town of Keystone, our panel is at a long table as a crowd gathers to watch the tasting. Before we take a sip, I thought I'd ask the judge next to me for some of his expert advice. My name is Victor Sam. I'm an engineer at Stantec, which is a consulting firm. Um, I actually did my master's at Colorado State University on um, taste and odor. What are you looking for? Like, what are we, what are we, what are we taking notes on? What are we noticing when we're tasting today? Well, overall, you just want to have a pleasant experience. So, does it quench you? Does it taste good to you? You, you can judge it from maybe a mouthfeel if it's slippery or is it grainy. So, it's kind of like wine tasting. The organizers give us a taste and odor wheel, and it lists all the different notes and flavors you might pick up from a glass of H2O chlorine and bleach, but it's also got a lot of the same things that people say about wine. 
fruity, grassy, earthy, but that might not be much help to me and the other judge seated to my left. Colin Chung is on the board of the American Waterworks Association. His group is running the conference and the tap water competition, but like me, Chung is no scientist. They're all looking very, very good to me, making me thirsty at the moment, actually. What was that you said about wine earlier? <laughs> I can't tell the difference between a $10 bottle of wine and a $500 bottle of wine. They all taste good to me. <laughs> and the tap water in front of us is not wine, but it's being treated with the same ceremony and elegance as a nice Cabernet. The organizers pour water from heavy bottles into stemmed glasses before handing samples from cities large and small to each of the judges, who are grading them on a scale of 1 to 10. All right, so I've had my first pass of the water here. I think it's time to go through and start getting some numbers down. The first one, not going to lie, little chemically, getting some chlorine notes. So I'm going to give that one a 5. And I do remember some more pleasant tasting waters down the line. So we'll start there. Are you noticing, uh, after we've looked at this wheel of flavors and they said maybe you'll taste cork or grass or citrus, have you picked up on any of that? <laughs> uh, not, not that advanced level here. I don't, I, the sweetness I can't taste. Sour, bitter, maybe the bitter, I don't know. But for someone who does know, let's turn back to our expert, Victor Sam. First thing that stands out is actually a lot of, all of them taste very different. And the second one is, even though they're all different, there's two of them that give me the same feeling, just one more intense. I called that one rubbery. Does that sound right to you? I love that word. Yes. Yes. After all, it isn't really an exact science. Just ask one of the other judges, Sushira Pochuraju. She's an environmental engineer who the MC called Dr. Taste and Odor. Taste and odor is really subjective to people. So, like, people have differing opinions, right? Sitting next to each other, me and my partners have different opinions. Pochiraju literally has a PhD in water taste and odor, but she says that's not necessary to figure out which water tastes good to you. After plenty of hydration and a little deliberation, the organizers tally up the scores from the panel of seven judges. The champion? Grand Junction, Colorado. After the dust settled, I caught up with Amy Brown with the Winning City's Water Department. It feels Great. awesome. Never win anything. <laughs> and why do you think that people love Grand Junction water so much? Because it comes straight from the Grand Mesa, the world's largest flat top mountain. Yeah. So, yeah, gorgeous place. Great water. Next up, all the regional winners take their water to the national championships, where they'll square off against some of the best water in North America to see whose taps are the tastiest. In Keystone, Colorado, I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Thursday should be sunny with a high in the mid-30s, and Thursday night should be mostly cloudy with a low of 15. Friday should be mostly sunny with a high of 30, and Friday night should be clear with a low around 5 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, November 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hi, I'm Thea. And I'm Ev. 
Do you know what the ultimate test of an athlete is? Winning the Mr. Olympia competition? Summiting Mount Everest? Being the fastest kids on the playground? No, it's running a 5K in a costume with a dog. Wow! Now that's hardcore! We're here to tell you about the annual San Miguel County Thanksgiving Turkey Trot 5K. It's on Thanksgiving morning, Thursday, November 25th. It is a free 5K run and walk that is a holiday tradition for the whole family. Costumes are encouraged and dogs on a leash are welcome. This event is in Ilium Valley at the intersection of Ilium Road and Sunshine Mesa Road. Racers can check in between 9 a.m. and 9.25 a.m. to get a race bib. A volunteer will check you in near the entrance to the parking lot in front of the old church camp. The raffle will be at 9.30 and runners and walkers will start at 9.45. Registration is online this year. You can register on the county website at bit.ly forward slash smc turkey trot. The deadline to register is Wednesday the 24th by 2 p.m. with no in-person registration on the day of the event. Prizes will be awarded to the fastest male, female, child 12 and under, and for the best costume. If you have any questions, you can call the Parks and Open Space Department at 970-729-1829. Thanks, and we look forward to seeing you on Thanksgiving. Hello, Coda listeners. Wilkinson Public Library and Bright Futures are teaming up to bring you the 2022 Community Baby Shower. Please join us at the library on Sunday, December 11th. We'll kick off the shower at 10 a.m. with brunch, prenatal yoga, CPR and first aid demos, and resources for families and children. We'll end the shower at 12 p.m. with a raffle for a variety of prizes. Our baby gear exchange will follow from 12 to 3 p.m., so come take what you need and give what you don't. Good quality gear is welcome. Spanish interpretation will be available throughout the event. See you at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.